following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. If you would, open up your Bibles to the book of James. Uh, we're going to be in James chapter 5 as we start, uh, or as we finish, excuse me, uh, our series on James. This is a really difficult message for me as your pastor to preach because it's all in money. Um, and uh, honestly, it's just, I think it's hard just uh, to preach to the culture that we have. And I'll see if I can explain that or whatever uh, in the next uh, few moments that we have together. Uh, we're in James chapter 5. We've um, conquered James 1 and 2 and 3 and 4. And if you want to find out uh, those messages, are online at communitygospelchurch.com. Um, Christmas season is one of our favorites. Uh, here at Community Gospel, we just want to say how much fun we have with you guys in the holiday season, um, in the Christmas season, not holiday season, Christmas, Christ mess season. Yes? Um, and uh, we just love being here at Community Gospel. Um, if I were to give you uh, a paper, uh, or maybe um, you were to find your paper, how many of you still read the paper? Anybody? Anybody still read? Like, anybody still subscribe to the paper? If you live in Bremen, it takes five minutes. It doesn't take that long at all. Um, how many of you guys get your news kind of online? Anybody get their news online? Okay. If you were to go uh, and open up your, your mailbox and see um, your newspaper there, uh, or you go online and you look at uh, your news there. If you were to look at that, obviously, you see that information and it's the past, right? So you get that newspaper and it's the past. It doesn't really change your, your life a whole lot. Most of the time when you look at the paper or uh, your news source, wherever that is, um, it doesn't change your, your life a whole lot because you obviously know kind of what's in there. Every once in a while, something will kind of jar you awake. Um, but if you were to go to your mailbox, there was a newspaper that was sitting there, and it was six months from now, all the information, six months from now, um, or you looked at your screen, and six months from now, you saw that information, it would change your life dramatically, right? I know what some of you guys are thinking. A couple of you might say, oh man, I wish I knew the scores, right? I can bet on that big game, finally, yeah, and uh, maybe make some money, a lot of money. Um, some of you guys might invest, right? There's some of you who are here who love the stock market, and uh, you like to, to do that thing. So you would look at the stock pages. Bremen doesn't have a stock page, because I don't know why. It just doesn't. Um, but you would look at that, and you would think to yourself, I can invest in that stock, and it's going you know, to change your life. It would change your life. Uh, maybe for others of you, I was thinking to myself as I was studying James, if you would have given me a newspaper six months ago, it would have rocked my life just because uh, maybe in a negative way. If you would read an obituary um, from a friend or um, a loved one that died, or maybe you see something that's happening overseas or something that took place um, in, our, in our cultural, in our news events, you think to yourself, um, it, would, it would dramatically change your life. You know, it's fun to think about that and how it would change your life. But as Christians, we believe that this book, the 66 books that make up one book, uh, are true. Did you know that? We believe that as a church. Some people make fun of us for that, but um, we do. We believe that. And 
in the end of our book that God has written to us, it says that Jesus will come again. That news that Jesus will come again should change your life dramatically. I mean, we look at the Advent candles, and I know some of you didn't grow up in church, but essentially this season we light four candles and then one's for Christmas. You know, it's, it's fun. It reminds us of all these things like prophecy and all these doors that you see here kind of represent one week of the Advent. And it's easy for us to think, you know, back that Jesus came once. Um, but does the message of Jesus coming again change you forever? Does it change the way you live? Does it change the way that you uh, are at work, uh, the way that you are with your spouse, the way that you are with your friends and with your family? Does it change you? My prayer is that it does, but I'm not sure if it does. In James chapter 5, he's going to talk about something that is so key to the world. He's going to talk about money that it, it's going to kind of wear on you a little bit because you're going to think for a small second like the world thinks. You're going to think this isn't a good thing, but if you call yourself a Christian, it's a great it should change your life dramatically because it changes what you call your worldview, the way you see the world. Do you see it through the lens of uh, the world, the sinful world, or the ways of the word, Jesus, that he died and he rose again and he came and he's going to come again. Uh, let's, let's approach God's word this morning with that intent. Uh, Lord Jesus, uh, we come to you this morning and this is a hard passage of scripture because you're speaking to us all. So we just want to take a moment and, and pause and uh, see it in a proper perspective. And I pray that it changes the people who are gathered here's life as much as it's changed mine. And it's caused me to think about what I do and the reasons why I do what I do and what I do with what I have. And I pray that uh, we don't just leave this service this morning um, one way, maybe we leave a completely different way uh, with our perspective changed a little bit and that we would see the world through your eyes and not our own. Uh, I love you, Jesus. Thanks so much for coming and thanks for the promise that you'll come again. All God's people said, amen. Let me fix this real quick. All right, that'll drive me nuts. All right, James chapter five. Here we go. <clears throat> James chapter five. He says, if you look at the first verse, <clears throat> come now, you rich. That's you and that's me. Okay, Pastor Jordan's going to kind of preach a little hard this morning. Okay, come now, you rich. You weep and you howl for the mercies that are coming upon you. Verse 2, your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have corroded. And their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, though, the wages of the laborers who have mowed, uh, mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth with luxury and in self-indulgence, and so you have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and you've murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. James is going to give you four things that people do with their wealth that bring judgment upon them. The first part in James chapter one, uh, or in James chapter five, verse one, is he says, you rich, you need to write in your Bibles that that's you and that's me. <laughs> Somebody approached me just this morning and they said, Jordan, I saw your sermon title. It said, uh, warnings to the rich. I'm so glad I don't have to listen to you this morning. <laughs> and I was like, oh man, here we go. 
It's you and that's me, okay? If we were to look at ourselves in the context of the world, we are rich. I mean, the majority of the world lives off a dollar a day. Most of us have that in our pockets. And so we would say that, that James is writing to us who are, who are rich. There's a primary audience, obviously, that's there. And that primary audience is the wealthy that are in James's day. But then it extends, and it goes from generation to generation to generation, and it goes to me and you. And he would say, if James were standing right here, that you are rich. He would say in verse 1, he would say, you who are rich, when he says you weep and you howl for the miseries that are coming upon you, he is essentially going back into chapter 4, and he's saying you need to see your wealth for what it really truly is. Because in James chapter 4, you remember when he said that you should turn your laughter into mourning and you should turn your joy into sadness? He's essentially saying the same thing here for us who are wealthy. I want you to have a proper perspective on what the world is all about. He says the world is going to have like laughter and it's going to have this supposed joy, but that's not the joy that we have as Christians, right? And so what he says is, I want you as a church, as a family of God, as individuals who call themselves Christians to see wealth, what it really truly is. You should essentially turn kind of your own understanding of what this really truly actually is. You should, like he says, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon not only you, but people who are oblivious to this. So we have kind of an obligation as Christians, and eh, it's not even an obligation, I say it's an opportunity to not just get this message ourselves, but to communicate it to the world who's around us too as well. Because there's four things that you do with your wealth that are going to bring judgment from God, and, and God judges. And he tells us when he comes back again, he will judge not only just the unrighteous, he'll judge the righteous. Now, you and I, if we've called ourselves Christians, we'll be ushered into eternity with Jesus Christ. That's going to be a glorious day. Let me tell you what. But God's going to look at us and say, well, I let you in the kingdom of heaven because of the grace that you received through faith. What did you do with my son Jesus and what was entrusted into your care? See, God's going to ask us some questions. And so there's four things that bring judgment on us. If you look at verse 2, the first thing that he says is that you hoard it. <laughs> that show is amazing to me. That's the first thing that popped up when I started to study this. I thought of all the people who have all that stuff in their homes, you know, the, the hoarders. Maybe that's you. And maybe that's me. I am actually not a hoarder. I like to get rid of things. I remember because I grew up in the church. Uh, every year, my mom would come into the church. It was a small church uh, that my dad pastored. And she would have black garbage bags. And literally, the ladies in the church would run like, and be like, don't throw, don't throw this away. Don't throw this away. You know, and my mom was just like, <sighs> she just swoop it. And then boom, like four trash bags. And when she was done with the church, she would come to our house. And she would do the same thing with my room. Um, but yeah, anyway, he says, you hoard it. Watch, verse 2. Totally irrelevant, but still awesome. <laughs> your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Verse 3, your gold and your silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat at your flesh. There's three things that James is talking about here to the people that we have to understand. There's three ways in which people essentially gained wealth, and three ways not only that they gained wealth, but that they hoarded that wealth. The first thing would have been grain. So he talks about that a little bit in the text. But if we were to go back and if we were to look in Luke chapter 12, there was a man who had stored up so much grain, his uh, essentially um, accumulation of grain wasn't the problem anymore. It was where to place that grain. And so what he had done, he's placed it in some of these grain bins and stuff like that. And it was essentially, he was at the point to where he could um, just, you know, sit back and relax because he had so much. 
that it was just there for him. He could sell a little bit of it if he wanted to. He could eat a little bit if he wanted to, too. But the problem in Luke 12 was he was watching other people go hungry. He had all this abundance of grain, and other people were going hungry. And that was, you know, essentially the push against him was he was hoarding it. He wasn't aware of what was going on with the other people who surrounded him. So when James says in James chapter 5, verse 2, he says, your riches have rotted, he essentially says that you have taken things like grain and you have hoarded it. You have put it into these silos, essentially, and you've used it for your own and you're not using it for other people. You're not loving your neighbor as yourself by feeding them, is what he's talking about there in the text. So the first way that people would have gained wealth would have been, you know, through farming and agriculture and things like that. And they would have essentially packed it up to themselves and said, this is where we're at. Now, the second thing that he talks about was he says, your garments. been the second area of trade that he was talking about in regards to people in the accumulation of wealth. Now, what happened was, none of you are in this boat, I'm sure, they had acquired so many garments that they essentially placed it into their closets and they had uh, become moth-eaten. Like they had just had so many clothes that they didn't know what to do with them. And so people were not only going hungry, people were also freezing because they didn't have anything to wear or they were naked and, and they didn't have anything to essentially put on. And again, people could have cared less, right? Okay, so you have grain, you have garments. And then he says, not only did people store up those things, they stored up gold and silver, verse three. He says, so much so that they hung closely to it. They essentially would hang on to it so much that James says it burned their flesh. I never had that problem. My dad always said there was a hole in my pocket. Whenever I got money, I just spent it. Um, but these people had accumulated it and they had held on to it so tightly that it essentially had withered away or burned a hole in their flesh. Now, here's the hard thing with preaching God's word. <clears throat> the hard thing with preaching God's word is we read that and we think to ourselves, well, that's them. But it's not just them. The audience goes to them, but then it goes to, ready? You and me. And so, which camp are you in? And we have to really think about this and assess this and evaluate this. I mean, what do you hoard? That I had to evaluate. What do I essentially accumulate so much of that I don't give to somebody else? Is it food? You know, I think about the pantry that we have, right? I mean, we have strived to get our pantry where our pantry needs to be. We have couponed for weeks and months and years and, <laughs> and even longer than that. And it's funny, you know, you see the little kids or we have the blessings in a backpack food drive, which is appropriate at this time. Maybe we go into our pantries and we pull some of those things and we give them to people who really need it instead of letting them decay. Because where your treasure is, there your heart is too, right? Ah, oh, that's difficult. But what about our clothes? I mean, if I were to walk into your home and go into your closet and I saw your closet and all of your clothes, what would I say? When's the last time you wore that? Oh, man. I mean, we're not excluded from you guys. I mean, Bethany has prom dresses. We've been out of high school for years. And I'm not just talking about her. I mean, I'm in this camp too. I have things I have not worn forever. And I think to myself, I'm like, these are my shoes for my wedding. I, I had my wedding in these shoes. I can't give those away, Jesus. Those are my shoes. 
Jesus, they said, Jordan, they said in the bin. And for some reason, here's the crazy thing. My heart is so attached to it. And God says, your heart is attached to those things and it's not attached to me. So what does that tell you about yourself, Jordan? And I'm like, I, I don't feel like being convicted here this morning, Jesus. Okay? So I'm in your boat. Or what about your bank accounts, right? Like some of us have acquired or accumulated this thing that we call nest egg, right? For emergency purposes. What if something happens to us. Now, there's wisdom in all those things, okay? So don't go home and like, it'd be like, Jordan, we have ketchup and mustard in our refrigerator now. Like, that's it. And we're good. And Jesus loves us. And, and don't like say, I've been wearing the same shirt for like four days. That's not a good thing either because you stink. Like, and, you know, don't look at it and say, well, I gave all my money away and I don't have any, any more wealth. Like, I don't have anything to spend. That's not, Jesus isn't calling you to be unwise. He's calling you to think think, okay? And if we look at uh, Solomon, for example, in the Old Testament, he had riches beyond all riches. I mean, the, the, the guy was loaded financially, and not just financially, with possessions and things like that, too. And God never looks at Solomon and says, you sell all this stuff. Never, not once does he tell him to sell it. So it's, it's where the heart is, right? You have to evaluate it, and I think if the Holy Spirit speaks to you, I mean, you got to do it right? That's just the way it is. Because ultimately, God wants a piece of your heart, right? Jesus tells us in John chapter 6, he says, I'm, I'm the bread of life. I'm the one that can really satisfy you and fulfill you and make sure that you're full. Whoever comes to me will never thirst again. And so he says, evaluate it. Because if you hoard things and your heart is in those things that you hoard, you're welcoming God's judgment upon yourself. Who likes preaching God's word? Me. All right. So, number two. He says, in, and this is going to, he's going to switch from the congregation, and he's going to come um, to some of us in the congregation. So, while you guys are thinking about the hoarding thing, watch this. Verse four. He says, <clears throat> Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the Lord of hosts. So the second thing he talks about is he's going to switch from the congregation that is gathered, and he's going to let them just kind of simmer on the whole horde thing for a second, and then he's going to talk about people who have employees. So that's anybody who is here who has an employee, James is going to speak specifically to you. He's going to give the congregation a little bit of a pause and a little bit of a break, and he's going to talk about people who have employees, the boss, if you will. If we have bosses who are here, he's going to talk to you guys for just a second. He says, how you treat your workers is a very important thing because how you treat your workers is how um, essentially you worship. Now, two things happened uh, back in the New Testament that will be critical for you who have employees, okay? Uh, first thing is people would have a bunch of land. And so there was landowners, right? And landowners essentially had people that would come and would work that field. So we could say, for example, I would be the landowner, and let's say this is the field, right? The, con uh, the essentially, whatever, a sanctuary that's here. We'd say, this is the field, and I would have people come in, and maybe it was one of you or, or two of you or whatever. I'd say, I have a job for you to do. I need you to come in. I need you to work this field, whether that be plowing it or, you know, harvesting it or whatever the case may be. And you would come in, and you would work that field. And then when you were done working that field, you would come up to me, and you'd say, Jordan, I'm done. I've completed my job. I'd like to be paid, right? That's what you do. Now, there were no laws back then that essentially said you had to pay your workers. I mean, you own that land. You could do whatever you want. If I wasn't feeling really good that day, I would look at you and say, you know what? I don't feel like paying you. You go ahead and go home. 
well, yeah, what happened? So, or maybe I would look at you and I'd say, mm, you did kind of a good job, but you didn't do like a really great job, and so I'm going to give you half of what I told you I would give you. See, it's my land. I can do whatever I want to it. So if, if I want to pay you, I can pay you. If I don't want to pay you, I don't have to pay you. And so when James talks here and he says, Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, they're crying out against you. He's essentially saying you're welcoming God's judgment against you. He says the workers, just like 1 Timothy, should be paid according to the work that they have done. It should be paid according to what they've done. Now, some of you are sitting here, you're going, Jordan, can you come preach that to my boss? Like, can you give that to him? I don't, what are you doing tomorrow? You, got, you open? Like, just come, sit, break room, start preaching that to him. Well, it's podcasted, so you can go ahead and go on the internet, download it, and just hand it over to him, okay? And he'll come and talk to me about it. Anyway, essentially, he says, First Timothy is ringing true. Pay the workers according to what they deserve. It's your spiritual act of worship. You should pay that person. It's highlighted brilliantly in the Bible in the book of Philemon. I don't know if you know about the book of Philemon or not. It's one of my favorite books of the Bible. Philemon's about this um, landowner. His name is, anyone? Philemon, right? And this uh, Philemon has a worker for him, and his name is Onesimus. Onesimus comes in, and Onesimus doesn't really like Philemon. We don't know what happened to him, but long story short, Philemon ended up stealing something, uh, or Onesimus steals uh, essentially Philemon's wealth. He just kind of takes it, and he runs off to Vegas because Vegas existed in the New Testament. And um, he goes over, and he, he plunders, the Bible says, his wealth. I mean, he just spends all of Philemon's stuff. Well, the crazy thing is, while he's spending all of Philemon's stuff, um, he meets Paul the Paul, Apostle Paul, who wrote the book of Romans. And uh, Paul essentially has a conversation with him, and he says, Onesimus, you're crazy. And he tells him about Jesus. And uh, Onesimus essentially comes to know the Lord. He gets saved. And he realizes the error of his ways. And he's like, oh, man, Paul, what should I do? And Paul says, you should go back to Philemon. He's your, your owner, essentially. You're kind of a slave to him. You should go back to him. And Onesimus is like, oh, man, but I owe him some money, right? Like, he'll kill me. According to the law, he would murder me. And uh, Paul says, you know what? I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll write you, I'll write a letter uh, to Philemon, and I'll tell him whatever you owe him, I'll pay for him. Which is funny, because Paul's in jail. Where do you get your money, Paul? He gets his money from the church. That's where your checks are going, okay? He says... uh, he says, okay, so uh, I'll go back, and he puts the letter in his backpack or whatever, and he goes over, and he sees Philemon, and Onesimus comes up to Philemon, and he says, he says, Philemon, before you punish me to the extent of the law, I want you to read this letter. And he gives it to him, and uh, Philemon opens it up, and he reads the letter, and he looks at it, and he says, you met Paul, you knew Paul, and Philemon knows Paul, because Paul led him to the Lord, like, so he knows who Paul is. And he says, whatever you, you I, I owe him, you know, or whatever Onesimus owes you, I'll pay him. I'll pay, I'll pay that. And so, uh, you know, the crazy thing is about the story of Philemon is, Paul says, accept him the way that you would accept me. Because Philemon loved Paul. I mean, he says he was a, a beloved brother of his. And so uh, Philemon wasn't to send Onesimus to the slave quarters again to resume work. He was to welcome him in his home. And so... Philemon brings Onesimus in, and we don't know if he stayed a slave, but 
we could see through biblical texts and the way that the Bible works that Onesimus would have come and would have remained um, a, a slave underneath Philemon. And he would have worked for him. And he would have worked according to what Paul said. First of all, his debt would have been paid. And secondly, he would have been paid according to the work that he, that he did. That's you and me and Jesus. Did you know that? Like Jesus says, you're a sinner. You've done something wrong. I've canceled out that debt because I came and I died and my blood was shed for you. And because of those things, uh, you're, you're free men. But just because you're free, should you go on sinning? No, by no means, Paul says. He says, uh, I'm going to give you and bestow on you gifts. I'm going to pay you for being my kid, essentially, is what the Bible tells us. I, the Bible says that God lavished his love upon a thousand generations. He's bestowed gifts upon all of us, for you and for me. And so if you are an employee, it's your spiritual act of worship to pay your employees properly. It's a reflection on how you are with Jesus. If you cut or skimp an employee's wages, you're welcoming God's judgment upon yourself. I know it's hard to hear, but it's true. If you don't pay your workers according to their wages, you're skimping on your worship with Jesus Christ. You're welcoming God's judgment upon yourself. <laughs> That's hard, okay? So four things that people do that bring uh, judgment upon themselves with their wealth. They hoard it. They cheat their workers. And watch this, the third one. If you go to, uh, where are we at? Verse five. Okay, so uh, you have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. Americans don't do that, right? Ouch, I read that passage of scripture and I was like, God, I, I'm not, no, we, we don't preach that. I brought, I took out my black Sharpie and I crossed that verse out. I said, you know, I don't like that one, so I word the good. No, didn't do that. Okay, let's define luxury. So if you're in your Bible, circle the word luxury because it's important, it's huge. Why is it huge? Luxury means going soft. In that context, with that passage of scripture, what he's talking about is when he says you live in luxury and self-indulgence, you've gone soft. Gone soft to what? You've gone soft because you love the world. Define world because we need to do that again. World is a system in which Satan controls right now where he uses unregenerated or unsaved individuals to do whatever he wants to do because right now we know that satan is in control god is allowing him to be in control but at some point when he comes back again he's going to punish him and he's going to pulverize him that's what romans chapter 12 tells us the second advent is that jesus is going to come and he's going to he's going to eliminate satan's control he allows this to happen just for a small moment in time and he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pulverize this guy because of what he is doing to my earth. And he says, when you love the world, okay, you and I, I'm in this boat too, okay? Pastor Jordan is a normal human being just like you guys are, all right, who struggles with this stuff. He says, when you love the world, a system that is controlled by Satan and the luxury that is there, you go soft to the gospel which needs to be preached, your commandment as we talked about last week matthew chapter 28 go therefore and make disciples and anybody who has a lot of money will tell you that the more that they accumulate wealth the harder it is to keep their focus on jesus christ and communicating the gospel because it's easy for us to get distracted to those things it, it calls for us it calls for our attention are those things bad no by no means 
Because if we view them from gifts from above, from gifts from the Lord and how we distribute that wealth, it's, 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 it's not a bad thing. But he says it is a bad thing when you go soft. And the gospel in which you have received is second place to the things in which you own. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 4. He says you cannot serve uh, Jesus, essentially you can't serve God and Manum, the world. You can't serve two masters. You'll end up hating one of them. So who's your master? Have you gone soft? Man, that's a tough verse. I was thinking about it for myself, you know, like, is the things that I have <laughs> that aren't, I don't have them, they're God's. Have I loved them so much that it has made me gone soft? Have I loved my grain bins, whatever those are, so much that it's caused me to go soft on communicating the gospel? Have I loved my clothes so much it's caused me to go soft on the gospel? Have I loved my money? Have I held it so tightly in my hand? It's not even my money. I got it because God gave me a gift so tightly that's burned a hole in my hand and it's caused me to go soft on the gospel. That Christ died, that Christ rose again, and the mission is to take that gospel to the ends of the earth. Isn't that crazy? Because what happens is when you go soft and you live in luxury, the self-indulgence is the second part of that. See that? Then it's all about me and it's no longer about Jesus. It's all about what I want. It's no longer about what God wants. See how that works? That's a tough passage of scripture, especially for us. And I wish he was done, but he's not. He says, one more thing. And so he says, you've fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter and you've condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. What's he talking about there? Essentially what he's saying is, and this happens every year. This is Christmas season and we just watched it happen. This is funny. Uh, I was watching TV and I was like, this is my sermon coming to light. I love when this takes place. I was like, the people will really grasp this. I grasp it. Uh, I was watching every Black Friday, there's one item. Do you know what happens with that one item? People want it so bad, right? That they flock. Now, it's funny, uh, Becky uh, is Canadian, and I always tease her because Canadian people are really nice, you know? And they showed a video of a, of a Walmart in Canada that said, Outrage has broken out into Canada, and the doors opened, and people slowly walked in and, and were greeted by the Walmart employees. They're like, hi, hi, hi. And then they're like, meanwhile, the video cuts, says, meanwhile, in America, and people are like killing each other, you know, or whatever. And I said, we should move to Canada. Anyway, um, so the reason I tell you that is there's one item every single year, right, where people just want it so bad. And every year you hear about a death that happens or takes place because somebody was trampled or whatever. And the wealth became greater or the object became greater than the people who were there, right? It's kind of what he's talking about here in the first context. There's two contexts to the passage that is presented to you. The first context is that, that if wealth takes over, it's too much. If, if, if like that one item is too much and it overpowers your passion for Jesus Christ and people, you should be cautious, right? Okay, you should be cautious about that thing. You should also understand it's cheaper online. Number two <laughs> is, <laughs> truth is, um, two, 
This is what's going to happen. Okay, so let's go back to these, these three that I just said. If, if you don't hoard things, if you don't cheat your workers, if you don't live in luxury and self-indulgence, what's going to happen is you're going to look a little bit different than the rest of the world. Don't miss this. As a matter of fact, you're going to look so different than the rest of the world that wealthy people or people that even have a little bit will hate the righteous person. It happened so often in the book of James is what happened is people who had accumulated so much stuff would see somebody who had a solid relationship with Jesus Christ and they would want that so bad and that one thing that they want could not be obtained with any sort of money. And so they got so mad at that person that they would look at him and they would essentially kill that person because they were so righteous. They, they, they murdered him because of the fact of what they obtained could not be bought from this world. You murder and you condemn the righteous, he says. Because when we live our lives with so much wonder and awe and gratitude for Jesus and who he is and what he has done, the world can't touch it. The world, the system which Satan operates by unsaved individuals to accomplish his will, he can't touch me. Paul is in a situation in the Bible, and <clears throat> essentially he's pressed so far that the last thing that they could do to him is, is kill him. And he, I mean, his faith is so evident. I mean, he's just, people look at him and they're like, Paul, you had wealth and you had all this stuff and, and you were esteemed and people listened to you and they loved you. And, and they would look at him and they would say, Paul, you're, you're, you, were, you were that, but now you're, you're different and you're happy and you have joy and you have peace and you have all these traits that we can't purchase. And, and so they punished him for it. I mean, they would essentially beat him and, and, and scorn him for it. And, and Paul would kind of just you know, laugh because he's like, it's, it's Jesus. And he would say, it's so cliche, but it's true. He'd be like, it's all Jesus. Like, I, you have accept Jesus and you, you get what I have. And he says, we're going to kill you for this. We're going to murder you for the gospel which you preach. And he says, for me, to live is Jesus Christ. To die is gain. He says, go ahead, take it all. He says, you can take everything, but you cannot take my relationship with Jesus Christ best thing I've ever had. So, it's to be like Christ. It's to pursue the things of the word, not the, the things of the world. Bethany's going to come up. She's going to play a song. Um, it's one of my favorite songs. It's called Don't Let Me Lose My Wonder. I think every time that I start thinking about these things, Every time I start thinking about, you know, having a lot of stuff and uh, every time I think about, you know, all the things that we talked about or going soft or, or whatever, you know, my prayer, my biggest prayer is that God would never let me lose my wonder of who he is and what he has done. I think when we live in that, it changes everything, it changes our whole, our whole life. So I don't know how the word this morning speaks to you. I'm not sure where you're at. But as Bethany plays, I'd, I'd pray about it. You know, see where you're at. What has a hold of your heart? You know, what do you need to work on? Man, it's a tough passage, and it's, it's so vital for us as we go into this Advent season.
with Christmas. You know, change your perspective. What is important? Is it the obtainment of the world or is it the word? Lord, thanks so much for beating me over the head with this truth. Changing my perspective. I live in the world so much sometimes that I forget. I forget what it means to be called a Christian and possess all the things that you have bestowed upon us. Those things that the world sees as intangibles that can't be bought. Help me to pursue Jesus, your ways and not the world's ways. Help me to grasp hold of what it means to follow after you. It's huge. To love you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength, with everything that I got. And to use the things that you have given to me to leverage the gospel of your son Jesus. To see everything as a gift that is only going to last a moment. So that those who are far from you will come to know you. That I could love my neighbor as myself in a way where people would grasp the gospel for themselves. May that be our prayer as a church. That we live in such a way where it's always to make your son known, both near and far. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.